Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches they never change anything. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man 100 years ago and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position 
to point the finger today at the white man and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he, has, he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind and make, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, He'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen.
not only just Starbucks, Starbucks from Dallas, Kentucky, you, you name it. And in a few cases, the police, geez, Walmart has people every day that they call, you know, police on. And, and there's some arrests. But it never hits the paper. Never hits the news. So there's a PR firm somewhere, in my opinion, on retainer to get this story elevated um, so it'll make, get some traction. And now, within a week, I think even, uh, I think former Attorney General Eric Holder is supposed to be heading up something with this. I mean, come on. So that's why I'm, I'm calling this uh, Starbucks, in my opinion, it looks like it's being hijacked. So today's podcast is titled Starbucks, the Anatomy of a Corporate Hijack, and we're going to have Peter Simpson <clears throat> explain about trust and how you can set yourself up corporately. And, then we, and it, like I said, this applies really the little person, the little man, the little woman needs to know about how to protect themselves more so than the, the big folk do. All right. Um, now, let me see. Let's go. We got some audio before we bring Peter in. Um, this whole thing started last Thursday, a week ago today, with a phone call to the local police. Okay, so uh, let me find my audio here. Man, I was just looking at it before the... Okay, where is it? Where is it? Hmm. I can't find it. Hold it. Let me. Mm. Okay, that's not it. Okay, let's see. I'm trying to find the um, the phone call that started this whole thing. Uh, okay. And I usually have everything in alphabetical order, which I'm looking for the, this is frustrating. I had to refresh this page. Okay, now, page refreshed. And... It's like it's disappeared. Wait a minute. Okay. All right. Let me. Right, let's go. What we have already in stock. Um, play on. Play an audio right now. Starbucks protest. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll be right back. But first tonight, demonstrators lead the call to boycott Starbucks days after the controversial arrest of two black men inside the Rittenhouse Square coffee shop. Good evening, everyone. I'm Natasha Brown. Thank you so much for joining us. The controversy has thrust the city of Philadelphia into the national spotlight now. Eyewitness News reporter Alicia Nieves is live in Rittenhouse Square with more on today's protests. Alicia. 
Natasha, protesters who were out here today say they saw the apology that Starbucks made, but really feel that it was made in hopes that after this whole thing would go away. They came out here to show that is not going to happen until they get more than words. No longer, no further. No longer, no further. Protesters in Philadelphia doubling down today on their outrage with the coffee giant Starbucks. This is a national issue. Nearly 100 people gathered outside this Rittenhouse Square Starbucks location, the location where earlier this week a manager called the police on two African-American men and had them arrested. The men were sitting inside the Starbucks for just a few minutes, waiting on a friend to discuss real estate business. Where did they get I've sat in this Starbucks, this Starbucks right here, um, without purchasing anything, you know, working on something with my friends. I've never had a problem. Despite Starbucks issuing a public apology yesterday, things are not dying down. I'm never going to the Starbucks ever again. And Protesters now are calling for not only a continued boycott of the business, but they are also demanding the manager here be fired. Keep the cameras rolling. Intending for that message to be clear, the crowd went into this Rittenhouse Starbucks where a corporate representative was inside. We put her in a position that did not allow her to be set up for success or those two men. I don't you know, know. Know. So, They got a picture in the system there. They're fingerprinting. The crowd clearly unhappy with the Starbucks representative seemingly defending the store manager now. She's a racist bigot. I'm sorry. I'm calling her that. Until that element is more removed from this store, there cannot be any dialogue. There can only be protest. Thank you very much. Do you. you understand okay. the lack you. of empathy for the manager? At this time, I will ask that you uh, step outside. And something worth noting from the protest held here was that several protesters said the one thing they found encouraging today was the sheer number of diverse faces who were out here standing up for what they all feel is an injustice to two black men. In Rittenhouse, Alicia Nieves, CBS3 Eyewitness News. All right, the audio, I got three audios for you guys to play. One, the first one would be, um, and which is weird, I've, I've got them loaded up. It's in through this blog talk system. It's, I have them in my library. However, it's supposed to translate into my studio file. And it's not, they're not showing up in the studio file. But it, uh, anyway, anyway, that's just legit. I don't know. That's more to talk sometimes. All right. The first audio I was going to play, and I'll play it if I if it ever pops up on on my my thing here, uh, studio here. Uh, anyway, let me explain. It's a short audio about uh, less than a minute, and it's the actual nine one one phone call of a, uh, a a woman, apparently the manager of that particular Starbucks, or one of the, ma- the shift managers of the Starbucks, and at that particular location in, in, at Starbucks in Philadelphia. And she's calmly calling the police, and she says um, her her complaint was to the local police in Philadelphia that there were two men, and she did not because I played I didn't I didn't hear anything about race, color, or anything in that in that nine eleven phone call. She had a calm tone of voice. She said there are two men there, um, and they. They were asked to leave, but 
They did not purchase. Um, they hadn't purchased anything. That was she mentioned that in in the phone call to the local police. All right, and um, hopefully we can find. I mean, hopefully it'll pop up on my studio like it's supposed to, and then I can play it back for you. But anyway, that's that's why I'm telling you what what happened. Um, so the police. Now that's the phone call. That's the first audio was supposed to play for it. The then the police show up because you got people, and that's part of. And this manager, which hopefully she's still within the Starbucks system as an employee, because I would hate for Starbucks to throw her under the bus. Um, and in a way, I think they did, which I don't think that's really. I mean, I think in this case they should back that manager up to the hill. Um, uh, well, but it's a catch twenty two situation because. I can understand why Starbucks did not want to press charges, but it exacerbated this whole thing. With um, so that's where it is right now. Anyway, so she made a call. Then the so we got people mad at her and calling her a racist. If you listen to that phone call, I can't see in particular the other black people in that Starbucks. Okay. Um. And if there was a history of this, particularly at that location and particularly with this manager, trust me, we would have heard about it by now the way the media is in this country. All right, next thing is, so what, you got people mad at her and calling her a racist, and based on that recording, I do not see why. Um, two, you got some people mad at the Philadelphia police. Now, all the police did was respond to a call. All right, the call came from a private business, Starbucks. They went there, heard her side of the story again, and then they went to the two gentlemen and heard their side, and then, you know, they asked them three times, would you leave? All right. Now, and they didn't, you know, they they were cool, calm, and collected. Um they didn't break anything. They didn't cuss out anybody. They didn't threaten anybody. It was just a basic trespassing charge. That's it. They got arrested. And then the media machine, and that's what I'm saying, somebody somewhere, in my opinion, has hired a publicist. I believe this whole thing was staged, and somebody's trying to get a payday from Starbucks. Because uh, one, uh, you look at first thing is an expression. The nail that sticks out is the nail that sticks out that gets hit. Starbucks is a high profile target. Starbucks corporate structure because every Starbucks is owned by Starbucks. You do have licensing partners with them, but they do not have a franchise system. So due to the fact that there's a sustained oh, and then the rules. The two black men who got arrested, in my opinion, it's a ruse. And it's a ruse that typically always works in the American uh, culture to put somebody on a defensive. Typically, ruses that work are sexual ruses, sexually based ruses. The ruse in this case is two black men 
who, I mean, who apparently weren't doing anything, according to if you listen to the trolls on the Internet. And they were minding their own business, and they were asked to leave. They totally glossed over the whole thing that store, they violated store policy. Because if you listen to the, uh, the um, and I wish that would show back up on my studio because I, ah, I can play it for you. But anyway, um, the, the store manager was just enforcing store policy. So, however, in order for this to get a payday, with just corporate hijacking of Starbucks, you need a ruse. In this case, two black men got arrested. Race. It's a racial issue. And in this country, people bite with racism. I mean, they just love it. They gobble it all up. That or sex. And what's interesting, if you go look at the history of this, go back to the Emmett Kill case, race. Black man, white woman. Wall Street incident in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Black man, white woman. Okay. Start and then it just it just it just race. I mean, even with the these shootings or homicides, it's black man uh, killed by white police. But they don't report about the the hundreds of police shootings by black people or to black people or white people killing white people because nobody's interested in that story. Thus, the ruse is the two black men getting arrested and a white woman, it sounds like it's a white woman, calling the cops on these two guys, and they get, like, so this is all part of the ruse. The intended targeting the shakedown, once again, is Starbucks. Starbucks is out there naked. Uh, they own all of the 27,000 stores in some way, shape, or capacity. Um, and, um, you know, so what we're going to talk about today is as an individual, because you, you don't have to have billions of dollars in assets to be a target of a shakedown of a hijacking, because this happens in families all the time with probate in the states, all right? You need to have yourself, You need first thing, you need to anticipate somebody trying to take your shit, your assets. You need to anticipate it and structure your affairs on an individual level and a corporate level if you have a business, and we're, we're talking about Regular folk, you need to structure your affairs so if you are attacked, you're protected. But if you really structure them like really good, nobody will ever detect that you have anything of substance. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to bring Preda Simpson on to talk about um, trust now. Hold Before we go... Uh, to him, uh, ooh, I'm, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find, um, ah, oh, Jesus, wait a minute. Uh, okay, before we go to Peter, 
I'm trying. All right, we're going to take a short little hold it, short little break of about two minutes, and then um, man, I can't find anything that I want to find. Two minutes, and we'll be right back. Today's podcast, once again, is titled Starbucks, The Anatomy of a Corporate Hijacking, 619-768-2945. And man, this is weird. I've got the three audios that I got. I have them in my audio library, but they won't show up in my studio library. Okay. All right. So, all right. Anyway, what the show must go on. All right. So, we have Peter Simpson here today. Um, and before we go to Peter, um, let me break down, um, 
let's take a look at uh, Starbucks real quick. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm calling, like I say, to me it looks like a corporate hijacking. And if you know, and you can apply this to individual hijackings because inheritance theft, which is inheritance hijacking, affects the little man. So it's it, to protect yourself, you need to anticipate what could happen to you and then set up yourself corporately or structurally, legally speaking, so you can protect yourself. Um, all right, Starbucks Corporation is an American coffee company uh, and a coffee house chain. Starbucks is founded in Seattle. Washington in 1971. As of 2017, uh, the company operates two, 27,329 uh, 239 locations worldwide. About half of those are right here in the United States. All right. Um, they Their revenue is 22, over $22 billion a year. They've got over $14 billion in assets. Um, now, Starbucks, they don't have franchises. Starbucks essentially has, they own their stores. They do have some arrangements where they do have licensing partners. People like, uh, a match, matter of fact, Magic Johnson might be uh, the, Afri- you know, the African-American basketball, former basketball player and part owner of the Los Angeles Lakers. Magic Johnson owns quite a number. I mean, he owns his share of licensing, um, of being one of their licensing partners. This this country, why we eat up color? Anyway, this is mind-boggling. Magic Johnson, a black man, multimillionaire, He's one of Starbucks licensing partners. He didn't come on the scene after last Thursday. He's been one for years. They hire. I don't. I don't know how. We just eat up anything black and white, anyway. But Magic Johnson owns, um, and nobody's brought that out during the last week. And of course, Starbucks hires. People across, I mean, every color of this rainbow that they've got, they've hired as employees, baristas, managers, shift managers. Um, the COO of Starbucks is an African American woman. Um, but anyway, in my opinion, the CEO dropped, let them press charges, but that didn't happen. So they, they, and as, as soon as you drop the charges, you know, then they had the machinery in there to put you on the defensive. Anyway, you need to set yourself up. Anyway, so Starbucks is a big target. Like I say, the nail is the nail that sticks out that gets hit. And the same thing on the individual level. If you got a, you know, just a regular old house, there might be somebody that wants it because court cases, the the, 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 the typical run-of-the-mill court case in civil court are not the big guys. It's people like you and me, you know, every, everyday Joe Averages and Joe Street Averages that, you know, we're trying to live, leave a quiet life, but somebody wants what we have. 
And if we don't, and that's what I'm saying, you need to anticipate somebody trying to hijack you and set yourself up uh, where you can uh, be protected or even not even visible on the radar where you can get attacked. Now, in this case, Starbucks has got over 27,000 restaurants. Excuse, excuse me, coffee houses. Seems to me they should have had 27,000 different names and been off the radar. But that's not the case. Um, now, it looks like these two guys uh, that were used as part of the rules are going to, they're going to get a payday. It seems that way. I don't know, but, we, you know, it's, it's still a thing in action. So, all right, uh, I wasn't able to, well, if, it, if I'm able to pull up the, if they have short on my board, the audios they have to play for you. But like I said, the first audio was the lady, the manager, she calmly called Star, I mean, the police in Philadelphia, stating that there were two gentlemen in there. Uh, she didn't say two black guys. She didn't say two niggas. She didn't, nothing regarding his race. There are two guys in here that will not leave because, and she was quoting basically store policy. They were not purchasing anything. This location of Starbucks is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the city, city, uh, in the center city area. And I've been there. Very dense, highly populated. Okay, a lot of traffic through there. And all she was doing was in, basically enforcing store policy, which they do every day. Interesting why they picked Philadelphia. Like I said, I, I believe this whole thing is fake. Anyway, let's go to Peter Simpson. Uh, good morning, Peter. And a top of the good morning to you, sir, and to It's My House. Well, uh, how would, uh, what's your take on this, and how would you suggest that um, the run-of-the-mill individuals structure themselves, legally speaking, where, like, say, anticipation of somebody attempting to hijack them um, how could you probably structure yourself legally so you might not become a target? Well, um, the, the plain fact of the matter is there is uh, no structure to protect you from this kind of a corporate shakedown, and that's precisely what it is. Uh, the fact that people were filming it, um, uh, the fact that uh, these guys went off on Starbucks as soon as the charges were dropped. Um, I, Starbucks, being a left-wing limousine liberal uh, organization, um, uh, they won't have a clue, and their corporate counsel will not sit with the uh, chief executive officer and say, you have to criminally charge everybody from now on. That's the solution to that. The civil actions would not be allowed to start in court until the criminal action is disposed of. And um, uh, the courts would rely on the younger abstention doctrine from the Supreme Court, uh, younger v. Harris, or uh, from uh, derivatives in that chain of cases. So the uh, the short answer is there is no bulletproof solution for the business person. 
Uh, As I mentioned yesterday, uh, clearly the first alab out of the jar is you don't open up your business in Philadelphia. Uh, Anybody that does that is uh, obviously not wrapped real tight. Uh, I'm sure there are businesses where uh, this would simply be swept under the rug and pushed out of the way, but uh, those guys are very heavily connected into the Democrat machine that controls Philadelphia. And uh, this Starbucks operation was just a satellite of the corporation in Washington. Uh, Business organization, uh, basically you can uh, be a sole proprietor, you can uh, be in a partnership, you can be in a limited liability company. You'll notice all of the lawyers that you hire are LLC. Uh, loot, right. pillage, steal, double talk, draw down, rip off, Dewey, screw them, and how, comma, LLC, Limited Liability Corporation. And um, you can also uh, use a trust. Uh, the, the situation today in American law is the laws have been changed over the last four or five years. And now, if you do create a trust, if there is any litigation at all, the trust must be represented by a licensed lawyer. Gee, you don't think a lawyer wrote that statute, do you? Uh, Um, That's essentially where we are. Uh, the, the trust, like the corporation, shifts the ownership of the entity to someone else. Uh, trusts predate the corporation in Anglo-Saxon law, I think by about 200 years. And uh, trusts are very, very powerful. Um, If you want to see how the Democrat mind works, there is a film currently uh, in uh, in the public realm uh, titled Chappaquiddick. And uh, the story of the Chappaquiddick disaster for Ted Kennedy is very instructive. Uh, Kennedy gets gassed up and drives his car off a bridge, swims away from the car, and leaves a campaign worker named Mary Jo Kopechny to die. He waits almost nine hours before reporting the event to the police. The family sued Edward Kennedy, Senator, D. Massachusetts. And the legend in uh, the legal underground is the judge in the Massachusetts state case took pity on the Kopechnies. And he ordered an in-camera session, which is everyone goes in the judge's chambers and there's no reporter. There's no recording device. There's just people talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And legendary or true, 
the judge is alleged to have said, Mr. and Mrs. Kopechny, the uh, insurance company for Senator Kennedy uh, regarding the car has made you a couple of offers, and you have understandably turned them down. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to rule in your favor, and these insurance lawyers are going to appeal. And the Boston State Court of Appeals is going to uphold my ruling, and these guys are going to the Massachusetts Supreme Court. And the Massachusetts Supreme Court is going to deny their petition to be heard, upholding the appellate court, which upheld me. And these gentlemen, using a 1910 law book titled Black's Removal of Causes, they are going to move this action into federal court. And the federal district court here in Boston is going to rule in my favor. And these gentlemen are going to appeal. And the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, federal, Boston, Massachusetts, is going to overturn every judicial order written by every judge in this case. And they are going to award you the actual cash value of the Oldsmobile automobile your daughter died in when it was airborne off the bridge just before it hit the water. Senator Edward Kennedy is a pauper. He owns nothing. Senator Kennedy has a driver's license in the state of Massachusetts, and there's a fine legal distinction between it being expired and it being active and up-to-date. But the reality is Senator Kennedy has the ability or the franchise or the right to drive 29 different automobiles in the state of Massachusetts. Each automobile is held in a vehicular trust, and the only asset in the trust is the automobile. Senator Kennedy when he is paid his paycheck from the United States Senate, he doesn't even sign the check. The money is wire transferred into a trust account at First Bank Boston, and he never sees it. The senator owns nothing. The senator is worth nothing. Here's what's going to happen. My staff and I, we're going to stand up and we're going to walk out of these chambers through that door over there. And the insurance company is going to walk in through that door over there. And they're going to make you another offer. Mr. and Mrs. Kopechny, watch my lips. Take it. And the judge got up, and he and his staff walked out, and the insurance company 
came in the other door with a wheelbarrow full of money and a coal shovel, and they started shoveling money onto the table. The first term of the contract was that either party divulging any part of the agreement to end the lawsuit for wrongful death against Edward Kennedy voided the contract, and the Kopechnys had to return all the money. And that term of that contract was for 25 years. 25 years and 32 days later, Mr. and Mrs. Kopechny published their book. It was never reviewed in American media. It was never discussed on American television. And Mr. and Mrs. Kopechny uh, passed on into the history of America. This is how powerful trusts can be. Um, the the super wealthy own nothing. They control things via trusts. So the concept of the trust as a business organization is uh, fairly uh, strong. Uh, the problem in America today is that if uh, L.A. and I open up a coffee shop anywhere in America and we open it up via a trust entity, if there is a legal kerfuffle, we have to be represented by a licensed lawyer. Now, if you get loop, rape, pillage, and steal to represent the trust because they drafted it and they oversaw the operation of it, you have a very good chance of prevailing in court. That's an expensive date. Uh, I would guesstimate you'd be looking at somewhere around $750 an hour is what it would cost to defend the corporation. Uh, in terms of a business structure, the LLC might be better. A straight corporation might be better. A sub-S corporation might be better. Uh, limited partnership, uh, sole proprietorship. There's a lot of different ways you can go. But the problem is, as soon as you turn on the sign that says open, and you hang your shingle out over the building, and you put the uh, clapboard uh, little pyramid thing up that has your menu on the sidewalk, as soon as you do that, you just draw a target on your back uh, for, uh, uh, for char bucks, it doesn't much matter. For them, all of this will be an expense of doing business, and they'll write all the costs, including the settlement, off the top of their gross income on their next income tax uh, statement. So to them, it's irrelevant. It's just it's numbers on paper. Uh, the public relations mm -hmm. side of it, it, it is another matter. But uh, uh, that's pretty much the long and the short of it. And like I said yesterday, uh, there's a grave difference between 
buying a licensed Starbucks operation and opening it up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, L.A. Davis and I opening up a uh, coffee shop, a breakfast, brunch, and lunch joint in Taft, Oklahoma. It's two completely different uh, kettles of fish. Uh, I wish I had better news, but uh, the American legal system has essentially collapsed. And as soon as you raise the race card as this circumstance in uh, Philadelphia at the Starbucks is, uh, reason, logic, and common sense flee in terror. And now it's simply a public relations problem. The fact that Starbucks has a, an advanced executive with her finger on the button who happens to be a black female is irrelevant. Remember, Starbucks is racist. And as you heard those idiot demonstrators, you know, if they have enough energy to protest against Starbucks, why don't they have enough energy to go get a job and apply their talents and skills to the benefit of their employer? Apparently, they never read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Apparently, they're not familiar with the secrets of closing the sale by Zig Ziglar. But uh, the, the Starbucks thing in Philadelphia is a straight-line corporate shakedown. This is Jesse Jackson. Uh, Jackson's an expert at this. Yep. yep. And it's a straight shake. Let me ask you this, uh, if you can. All right. Um, someplace like I mean, General Motors, I believe, has like 500 staff attorneys you know, working on stuff, you know, Monday through Friday. So I'm imagining, I mean, I don't know what Starbucks had, but I imagine that Starbucks should have some staff attorneys working on stuff in particular. And I agree with you 100% that from now, they should have just, in, I mean, to make the phone call and then enforce, prosecute trespassers. I think that they went on and did it, we wouldn't have got out on that, but um, well, here's 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 the way this is going to shake down. Whatever the result of this is, there will be changes in corporate policy at Starbucks, and there will right. be changes in the Philadelphia Police Department and the criminal justice system in Philadelphia, and then there will be court rulings that will also affect particular changes in a particular way, and you'll have a new set of parameters to deal with. And some social activist will figure out how to deal with that, and by the time it happens, the iPhone 15 will be out, and you'll be able to film a major motion picture with your telephone, and the process will start over again. Uh, In China, 600 years before Christ was born, Lao Tzu said, the greatest of problems could have been solved when they were small. And when you're in this kind of environment, 
the solution to these problems is the desired shakedown of the corporation. Starbucks has big bucks. They have billion dollars in revenue. And that's what the point of this is. If Starbucks was a racist corporation, a black woman would not be near the top of it. End of discussion. Uh, I mean, that's simply where the bear lives in the woods. Now, some of not only that, like I said, they have Starbucks has black uh, and you know uh, black licensed partners. Magic Johnson's one of them, and they have never. I mean, every Starbucks I've gone into practically had a black person working at it. So I, I don't, you know, but I can't. Well, well it'll be interesting to see if the social activists try this scam in a Starbucks that Magic Johnson owns. That'll be very interesting to drag Magic Johnson out into public and say, you're a racist, black-hating son of a so-and-so. I mean, how many black folks does Magic Johnson employ? I mean, you know, the, the the entire thing is preposterous on its face. In 1950, in Chicago, a desk sergeant in the police station or the first judge this one up against would have read everyone the riot act and the case would have gone away. It's 2018. And that kind of reason, logic, and common sense no longer exists. And uh, it's a shame. One, uh, One solution to this would be that uh, L.A. and I and uh, a couple of folks in Taft, Oklahoma, we open up a private club in Taft. And we put a commercial kitchen in it, and it's NSA approved. But the only way you can get in the front door is to be a member of the club. You're not a member. You're not a member. You can't come in. And there's other ways you can uh, cut cake. You can make it uh, donation for breakfast, donation for brunch, donation for lunch, uh, donation for this, donation for that. Uh, you can have um, uh, a privately circulated price structure that's outside of the business. When you come in the business, right. you don't. No one knows what the prices are, but you do as a member of the club coming in the business. So you know that the breakfast is $7.50 and the brunch is $11 and the lunch is $12. And you understand that going in and you're a member of the club and you agree to abide by the rules of the club or you're out. Now, in Taft, Oklahoma, you might be able to make that business model fly. In in Philadelphia, they would shut you down in about 22 nanoseconds because they've got city inspectors payroll. And the object of government is to expand. The bureaucracy needs more inspectors and needs more lawyers and more judges and more courthouses and more cops and uh, more city employees. 
not less, more. And so in Philadelphia, that wouldn't fly. It might fly in Taft, especially if right. all the county police and the city police get free memberships. Right. And Taft has no police force. Bingo. Then in Taft, all they have is the county, and the the county officers will very, very quickly become aware of who L.A. is and who I am and who the other two major partners are, and they would know who the cooks are on what shift, and they would know who makes a better Eggs Benedict than the other guy. Right. That's the real world. I, you've heard me before on It's My House. I'm an advocate against uh, cities and for small communities and farms. I'm an advocate for homeschooling, and I am not an advocate for government schooling. Um, basically, I'm, you know, a, a very gentle anarchist. You know, what we need is less yep. government, not more. We need less lawyers, not more. I agree. I agree 100%. We got a caller here. Uh, area code uh, 407, your mic is open. Hi, this is Sister uh, Beata. I had it on mute, sorry. Um, thank you, Peter, for that really much needed lesson and reminder of the legal system and all the other corrupt systems going on. Um, you know, I was just thinking that um, mo- most of us on this call are baby boomers, and um, is it? I'm, I'm asking a question kind of to the general audience: is is it is it just the liberal viewpoint uh, that's taking over this uh, entitlement, arrogant attitude, like these black men demonstrated, or is it a generational thing that these? This gener- younger generation um, has this attitude of entitlement and arrogance and, and, and unfortunately, liberalism, because what you were describing and teaching, it really, I think it has to do with, like you said, Philadelphia being a democratic, mostly liberal uh, situation. And yet I see that, you know, it's us baby boomers who, at least most of the ones I know, who look at this as like, what happened to this generation? <laughs> That's my question and statement. My uh, my answer to that, Sister Beata, would be it's both. Okay. And what you have in the United States in 2018 is a bifurcated society. There's a line drawn in the middle of the sand, and you're either on one side of it or you're on the other side of it. The, the situation we're discussing today with uh, the social activists and uh, uh, Starbucks, uh, those people think that government is the solution. Right. The it's my house paradigm is that government is the problem, not right. the solution. Right. And so – you know, I'm. Uh, you know, I continue to advocate for uh, constructing a parallel universe, yeah. and you can never be totally outside the system, but mm-hmm. you can locate and operate yourself in such a way that you don't suffer the indignities of 
uh, this kind of nonsense in Philadelphia, the kind of nonsense you have in uh, Chicago, uh, in San Francisco, and any of the, the major metro centers that voted overwhelmingly for Hillary. You know, flyover country, if you look at that goofy map of the 2016 presidential election, you know, all of the red stuff is flyover country. And basically those people live in a parallel universe. They suffer Mm -hmm. under Washington and they suffer under the state to a lesser degree. But, you know, they're out there actually doing stuff. They have businesses and jobs and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the idea that the government is the solution, all you have to do is learn basic mathematics. Mm. The government taxes L.A. Davis in 22%, and they're going to help people with that 22% of L.A. Davis's income. The problem is, to help people, the government has to set up a bureaucracy, which costs part of the 22% of the tax revenue. Now, it would be far better to create an environment where L.A. Davis is locally charitable and helps the people in his locale and people in Chicago and Philadelphia and Dubuque, Iowa and Boise, Idaho and Phoenix, Arizona and Orlando, Florida, people everywhere say that would be the cost effective circumstance. Um, Laying around my office here somewhere, I have a spectacular quote from Cicero in Rome, 2000. 100, 200 years ago. And it's a quote on bureaucrats and bureaucracy. And our situation is not new. The Romans knew it. The Greeks knew it. The Persians knew it. The Babylonians and the Sumerians knew it. The Egyptians knew it. Everybody knew it. Uh, Cicero, being uh, gifted with language skills, Uh, eloquently lays it out and he called the bureaucrat the most despicable of uh, people populating the empire now you ask a bureaucrat and they'll tell you something very different but the problem is you have a bifurcated system The protesters in Philadelphia think that government is a solution. And the It's My House audience knows that the government is the problem, not the solution. L.A.? Thank you, Peter. Uh, Riyadh, I think it's all right. One of the, um, I think one of the gentlemen that was arrested, I didn't notice the other one yet. I think he could have been a millennial. And uh, we might have to do a podcast one day on Let's look at the the, the high-profile homicides of black men. I, I think most of those might have been or have been so far millennials. Stephon Clark, millennial. Um, they've been mostly millennial, maybe X. Now, a lot of the videos that are anti-Starbucks, 
and anti-police in this particular case, they're produced by millennials. Um, I'm a baby boomer. So my whole thing is I'm asked to leave, I'm out. You know, I'm not waiting for the government to get involved in something minor as a request to leave because, as according to the the audio, which uh, people can listen to on uh, YouTube now, they weren't purchasing anything. And all she was doing was enforcing, you know, policy. I would now have, I would have pulled out a couple of dollars and bought a bottle of water, a banana, piece of fruit and stuff, something. Uh, and then been left alone, or if I didn't have any money or didn't want to spend any money, I would have left. Because like I mentioned uh, yesterday, I was at a, a Kinko's once, and I was asked to leave. I, I wasn't spending any money. So it wasn't, I didn't question why, and I didn't talk about my rights. I didn't try to hold court. I gave no reason for that person to even think about picking up the phone and calling and dialing 911. I left. And I've been back to that, yeah. you know, particularly several times since. So, But I'm a, I'm a yeah, that's, that's right. me. That's, that's why I started seeing it as a generational problem because my grandmother or, or my father, let me tell you my father, he's 93, in that situation, he would have told those young men to go buy a bottle of water and be respectful and sit down and, and you know, talk and do your thing. But buy a bottle of water, do something. So that's why I started saying this is a generational thing because my, my parents wouldn't have tolerated that kind of behavior. And I think all of us here, our parents wouldn't have, have, have approved of that kind of behavior where you're going to say you're not going to get out of a place because they ask you to. So. It's definitely a generational thing, and we got our work cut out for us. And thank you, Peter, again for educating us on that. We so need that that knowledge and that information. I'm gonna share it. I'm gonna share the well, show Peter, for let one. Me, let me ask you this, because Peter, I, I like the idea that you have, because I think I'm incorporating the school I'm setting up. How would one go about setting up a private? Structure, you know, club, whatever you want to call it, because I love that idea of a private coffee house, but it could be a private anything, membership based. How would one go about doing that? Well, you you have to run through the state statutes in terms of uh, private clubs. Now, the where the government is going to get their nose in a wrinkle is if there is a kitchen. Because now the government's going to claim, well, that's, you know, public health, public safety, that's our realm. And they'll have a body of uh, judicial decisions to support their contention. So, uh, again, if you do it in Philadelphia, they'll flatten you like a pancake. If you do it in Tampa, Oklahoma, the results may be very, very different. But basically you establish a private club. It would be kind of like, you know, the Elks Club or the Moose Lodge or uh, something along those lines, but it's a, a very different, and it's a very private club. And you have a, uh, you know, a declaration of what it is that you're uh, doing. And um, uh, when you put it together, it's an evolutionary process. You start out with an idea, and people add and subtract to it, and they multiply and divide it, and they, you know, hammer it out, and now here you have the uh, 
uh, the terms of membership to the club. Uh, maybe uh, the, the gifts to the club for um, breakfast or lunch or uh, other gifts made to the club will be put to uh, public purposes in the community. And so you have all of this laid out, and then it, you're, the difficulty becomes the physical plant. What building is it in? What judicial district is the building in? You know, where is the building? What kind of shape is it in? Um, if you're going to serve food, uh, you multiply the, uh, the difficulties. And you have to be very, very strict. There's a sergeant at arms or a guard, if you will, uh, at the door. And if you don't have your membership card on a lanyard, I'm very sorry. No, you can't come in. Uh, we can get you an escort to walk you around our club to show you the multiple benefits of joining our club, but no, you're not coming in unescorted because you're not a member. So it's a simple idea. And now the question well. becomes if there's a legal kerfuffle over any aspect of it, particularly over the food aspect of it. If there's a legal kerfuffle, the situation is very simple. And uh, I think last year, the year before, I told the, uh, the Roy Kahn story from 1955. And Roy Kahn was asked about a uh, a sensational uh, uh, murder case in New York City. And Roy leaned into the microphones and said, I'm, I'm very sorry, I don't know anything about the case. And the reporter who asked the question said, uh, Mr. Khan, um, uh, 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 Peter Simpson entered L.A. Davis's apartment on Fifth Avenue and killed his wife. And Simpson is currently in the city lockup downtown, arrested for murder. And Roy Kahn leaned into the microphone and said these words. I don't care what the facts are. I don't care what the law says. Who's the judge? And if anyone listening to this broadcast thinks the American legal system has improved since 1955 over that statement, is obviously living in a computer-generated dream world about which I know nothing. So in Taft, Oklahoma, you might have a judge say, nope, not interested. Not going to hear it, case dismissed for cause with prejudice. And on the other hand, in Philadelphia, <clears throat> you might have a judge to set the thing up to go all the way to the United States Supreme Court, which, of course, is great for the lawyers because, uh, remember, the lawyer wins his case when your check clears. What happens to you is irrelevant. And that, unfortunately, is the legal system that we chafe under today. L.A.? 
Thank you, Peter. Well, I like the idea of, I like the uh, uh, analogy with the, the Ted Kennedy case, and um, and I like the idea of private membership. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that. I have, I have another quick example of how of how the trust world works if you if you want to entertain okay. the time. Um, when um, uh, when H.L. Hunt died, he was the founder of Texaco Oil, and he lived in this magnificent house, which was the opening shot of the TV show Dallas. And um, H.L. Hunt had, I think, uh, two sons and a daughter, and when he, at his death, they were married and they had children. And uh, when he died, and I think it was, you'd have to look it up, it was either in the 70s or 80s, uh, the government decided that they were going to go and take the old man's stuff because, obviously, H.L. Hunt was a Texas oil wildcatter, and he didn't know anything about the real world. So they loaded up a plane in Washington, IRS Treasury officials, and they sat down at the dining room table at which H.L. Hunt died. And the government's on one side of the table, and a phalanx of lawyers and H.L. Hunt's children and grandchildren are on the other side. And after a few pleasantries, someone said, let's get down to business. And one of the lawyers for the Hunt family said, where would you like to begin? And the IRS guy said, let's start with Texaco Oil Incorporated. And a lawyer opened up a briefcase and produced a two-inch thick pile of paper that was uh, two hole punched at the top with those steel brads that go through it. And he set it in front of the IRS agent and he said these words, declaration of trust. And the Treasury Department guys put their head in their hands. And the IRS guy got his back up and said, okay, Texaco Oil Gas Pipeline Leaking Leasing Incorporated. And another lawyer produced another stack of bound paper and said, Declaration of Trust. When the shooting stopped and the dust settled and the smoke cleared, H.L. Hunt, the founder of Texaco Oil, he owned the house they were sitting in, the 100 acres of ground around the house. He owned two Cadillac automobiles and a Ford pickup truck. And he had a petty cash bank account at Republic Bank Dallas with $50,000. And H.L. Hunt gave tax-free to his son's daughter, grandchildren, business associates, agents and assigns five and a half 
billion dollars in assets in 125 different trust organizations. And the United States government got nothing. That is to say, zero, zip, nada. Because apparently somewhere in the long ago, far away, 50s or 60s, some lawyer took HL aside and said, you know, when you die, the government's going to come in and get everything. Here's how the mop flops. And HL said, well, that's not a good outcome. How do I avoid that? And the result was 125 different trust organizations. And that's the power of trust. That's why the super rich don't own anything. They control stuff. Uh, Nelson Rockefeller was made vice president during the Nixon-Agnew disaster. And one of the senators said to Rockefeller, who would not answer questions about the Rockefeller business, he said, well, how can it be that you don't know? And Rockefeller leaned into the microphone and said, I'm sorry, Senator, I haven't written a check in five years. You think the Rockefellers sit around the dining room table with the old lady and balance checkbooks on Friday night? They have people do that. And the people are lawyers who can work trust. They operate the trusts. And the super wealthy say, trust, go over here and do this, and the lawyers make it happen. And they say, trust, go over there and do that, and the lawyers make it happen. Rockefeller doesn't know what the hell is going on. He doesn't know the minutiae. He knows that I own Alcoa Aluminum. That's my company. But in terms of the minutiae, uh-uh. couldn't tell you a thing about it. And that's the way the super rich play the game. The beauty of the information age is L.A. Davis and I and Sister Viata can organize a trust. We can organize it in Florida. We can organize it in Oklahoma. We can organize it in Georgia. We can do anything we want. And we can make it fly and make good things happen through it. And that's only because of the information age. In 1880, 1890, uh uh-uh. Common working man didn't have a clue. Didn't know anything. And today, the information age makes this all possible. L.A.? I agree with you, Peter. Peter, for people who get in touch with uh, you, with uh, particularly Erwin Rommel uh, School of Law, uh, which has a wealth of information, how can they do that? Uh, they can do that by dialing 320 and uh, AT&T hates me. They won't set up an answering machine for me. And so if uh, the phone rings and rings and rings, it's because I'm not in the office. And our website is www.rommellaw, R-O-M-M-E-L-L-A-W, 
www.irwinrommel.com. We are the Irwin Rommel School of Law. And um, we're those evil kind of people that train regular old Americans to deal with the legal system without the deleterious expense of hiring lawyers. And thank you again, L.A. All right. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Viata, and all listeners. On that note, everyone have a good rest of the day. 